the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. In last week's episode of Challenge 2.0, we examined the rising number of people who no longer identify with any formal faith. Such people often refer to themselves as spiritual, but not religious. They are sometimes called the nuns, for the name of the category often listed on surveys. This week, we return to our conversation with a faith leader who is working to bridge the gap between spiritual and religious. We thank you for joining us again today, and if you were part of the program last week, you heard Father Carlo Rico, who is one of the founding members of Contemplative Outreach, uh, who has taught workshops and conducted retreats very recently. That's why we have you, uh, fortunately, here in the Seattle area uh, for decades. And so thank you first very much for joining mm -hmm. us again. Welcome. In the open, we heard the statistic about the expanding number of people who are now classifying themselves as nuns. Uh, those reasons are many, but you talk to so many groups, both formally and just in conversations. What's your sense of that? Why are people disaffiliating themselves with organized faith, uh, be it Christianity, Judaism, whatever it might be? It starts very early. Why does a community schedule uh, sporting events for the young on Sunday and on Saturday? Mm -hmm. Why do kids never have an opportunity to enjoy being a kid? I have my, uh, my grandniece who is excellent at baseball, softball, mm -hmm. and um, they play three games a weekend because she's on a very special team. Now, I'm proud of her, but what happens to the weekend? Mm -hmm. What happens to the times that people usually would go to church? And if she's going to receive the sacraments, which she just did recently, confirmation, you know, how it had to be fit in. It, had to be, it wasn't like, not the confirmation was mm -hmm. beautiful, but the going to the classes and everything. It becomes one of many things. And the message that comes across is the fact actually that this is not that important. This is just one of many things. So I'm not at all surprised really that as she'll get older, I hope she still stays, gets to church or at least believes, mm -hmm. I hope she never becomes a nun, if you would, where she doesn't believe that there's any God or any, or I should say any reason to be religious and she'd be happy to be spiritual. Now I chuckle about a person who says they're spiritual because they have a discipline in their life that blows my mind. I love coming out to California. It's probably true in Washington too. You look out, all these young people 
with their Nike outfits on and their whatever outfit, you know, with their ear things going, getting their exercise in every day because they want to be healthy. They, they're, to me, they're they, that's a cry for discipline. It's a cry to rise above how they are at the moment. Mm -hmm. But because this was never planted to say maybe is having a meaningful relationship with God, not that the God isn't in their life, but a more meaningful relationship, because you know, in relationship, you can have a, a you would have first of all, you could completely ignore God. Mm -hmm. You could also be an acquaintance of God that calls on God just when you need God. You know, you could have a friendliness with God where you have a little bit of prayer in your life. You could be a friendship with God where you actually are interested in knowing more about God. And then the last day, you can have a union with God where you surrender. But so many, so many just, they're at that, that acquaintance level, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'll call you when I need you. You know, but right now, I don't need you. I have other things that are more important. I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was never implanted in any way. Then you go to the other extreme. How is religion coming across to people? Not too well in the Roman Catholic Church because of the uh, sexual abuse. That, uh, that was, the, the, if the devil had to ever do something to dis, uh, disgrace the church, mm -hmm. it's this item, it was ingenious because that was an evil that took over, a permission that a priest would give himself to think that he could do this and it would be okay to, t t to do this. I mean, to me, it's distasteful. Some people will say, well, it's only 5% of the priests. It shouldn't be none because the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. is held up to a higher standard. And that's why people take pot shots at it. Uh, but I always say, uh, we've been around 2,000 years, so we'll be around another 2,000 years. And maybe we would get better through the crises that we're going through. So I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. I don't blame them. One of the issues that I think that speaks to is the issue of a sense of safety. Right. Uh, if you're going to develop a relationship with God, it demands a sense of comfort and of being safe. Right. And for many people, that doesn't exist, either because of the issues you talked about, but just other issues in terms of how they were raised, what their conception was. Well, what's, what's your feeling about that? I think that? fear. There's a lot of fear. And there's a lot of fear, really, of not being connected. Mm -hmm. I think one of the worst things is the fact when a person is not noticed, they don't feel they're worth something. Mm -hmm. And I think many times religion is very, can come across as very being very judgmental, that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Well, there are standards, and we could go into that, but that'd be a whole other theological discussion. Mm -hmm. and, and theology uh, develops with time as new questions come up. But um, to be welcome, I think one of the problems that we have as, uh, in, uh, as church people is we don't dialogue, we criticize. Mm -hmm. But when you sit down and begin to talk, there's a realization that there's a commonality really that exists between us. And uh, I'll, I'll say that we, we're, we don't dialogue with each other. So with the nuns, mm -hmm. you know, we should be. This um, Bishop Barron, you know, uh, has, is one that's really wonderful in reaching out and saying there needs to be dialogue. 
As we look at that, that need to dialogue, and we described in last week's program a little bit of that dialogue and the need for silence with God as part of the larger practice of contemplation. Uh, could you perhaps tell us what you mean when you're talking to somebody? What do you mean by contemplation? And how does that lead to altering their faith practices and expanding them? Well, I think when you bring a contemplative dimension, you bring a dimension that says it's not all about the building. Mm -hmm. It's not all about the ritual. It's not all about commandments. It's not all about how you live your life. The contemplative dimension is to wake up to the fact beyond that there's something greater, something awesome that not even the church person can truly explain. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you base your religion always on reason, uh, there's no mystery. If you base your uh, faith on just mystery, there's no reason. So, so there has to be a balance between reason and mystery. Mm -hmm. I cannot explain the presence of God, but I, I, can, I cannot deny it either. It's that what we call super rational that takes over, that intuitive sense that takes over, that makes you aware of a lot of these things. So you could be, you could battle back and forth. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the point is the, the battling is not going to open to anything because it's not a matter of up here, mm -hmm. it's a matter of the heart that needs to be touched on a much deeper level, which is hard for people to understand many times, and it's hard to express. I think as a scientist, there are reflections of that in the universe all around us. The more we learn, the more we recognize that there are elements we just can't explain right. uh, that would seem to validate that. Do you feel that God adjusts the relationship with us depending upon not only our culture but our readiness? I don't think God does much. I think God is, other than being perpetually present to whatever you offer God. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Uh, God, I, th I believe at birth, every human being has all that they need in order to access the awareness of God in their life because I believe they're creatures of God and God created them. And I think God, in a certain sense, is already there. And as they progress, what happens actually, they access more and more of what's already within them, mm -hmm. the yearnings that they have in them, you know? And so as we talk about that, and as you talked about discipline, whether it's to stay fit or to expand that relationship, tell us a little bit about the discipline, the practice that you've developed and that you teach uh, to help people better access that. Well, uh, in centering prayer, uh, the greatest stress is on consent, to consent to God's presence and action within you that makes you affirm your basic goodness mm -hmm. and also be aware that there's work to be done. So the prayer itself is very, very simple. There are like four little guidelines. Uh, the first is, in a certain sense, to um, pick a word or phrase that captures your desire to consent to God fully. Mm -hmm. The second is actually to sit comfortably and allow that word to be permeated in your, your being. The third is, as you sit there, okay, in prayer, consenting to God's action, 
realizing you're bringing your whole body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet to this practice, asking God to do whatever needs to be done on any, le any level. As you're sitting there, what is your biggest problem? Your thoughts. <laughs> the moment uh, I, uh, I would ask your crew right now, if they were to close their eyes and sit quietly, would there be, what would be coming up? what they have to do next, what, if, how the filming going and everything else. It, it, it's so natural. It's so much part of our lives. Mm -hmm. Now, in the prayer itself, as you're consenting to God's presence, these thoughts begin to rise and come up. And in consenting uh, to God's presence, the big thing is to let them come and let them go. Mm -hmm. Because we're ruled by our thoughts. Nothing wrong, but we're ruled by the constant chatter of our thoughts. Now, in letting our thoughts go, there's a clearing, if you would, that takes place because of your consent and God's grace that allows you maybe to begin to think in a different way, to feel in a different way, to let go of stuff that's been a burden in your different way. Mm -hmm. It's that process of letting go in order to be born to some new life. And, and that's primarily the idea of spending the 20 minutes of just my image is I allow God to wash my feet. Mm -hmm. Scripture said, I'm going to be my disciple, I have to wash your feet. And by me sitting there, he's ministering to me uh, and helping me be more what I cannot be on my own. Mm -hmm. You've been not only teaching this, but obviously practicing this for a very long time. Right. Uh, as you've taught other people, what are there any examples that you could show or share with us in terms of how you've seen it change people, not only in terms of their faith orientation, but in terms of just how they function on a daily basis. The awareness to embrace themselves as they are. And you are okay as you are, mm -hmm. and things, there are things in your life that need to be healed, forgiven, or celebrated more. So don't be afraid, really, of saying, I need to be healed, I need to be helped. Don't be afraid, really, to say, I really need to forgive or be forgiven. And I need to really celebrate all the gifts that I have in my life. It, it expands, I don't know if that makes sense mm -hmm. to you, but it expands your awareness of allowing yourself not to end up being the fixed point of reference. And that's, the, that's where we get in trouble. We got millions and millions and billions of people who want to be the fixed point of reference. It, is, it doesn't mean that you're not important, but it can't always all be about you. And that's a realization that's difficult as children. All of a sudden we realize the world doesn't revolve around us and we supposedly grow out of that, but perhaps not uh, as completely as we do. I get the sense that we're talking about transformation of who we are and in perhaps a larger sense, is it fair to say the evolution of humanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, transformation to me is the awareness really of becoming more and more sensitive to the fact actually of how much life is in us mm -hmm. and not just settle, not just settle. And in my, what I mean by that is you're more than your role. Mm -hmm. You're more than your role. I, I think our roles many times suffocate us to know there's something more that can happen in our life of allowing ourselves to really love God, love neighbor as we should and learn how to for, forgive. And that openness, that idea of understanding that perhaps the role that we see ourselves isn't what we're entirely meant to be. 
it brings me back to what you were talking about, kids that are overscheduled in school right. and on weekends, right. that perhaps we're uh, limiting them and not allowing them to just discover a little bit more spontaneously. Mm -hmm. Thomas Merton once said that contemplation demands compassion, and I know you're a, an, an admirer of Thomas Merton. Do you agree, and what message does that have us have for us today? Whatever you do to one of these, the least of mine, you're doing to me. That's the Christian message. I think it's the world's message of any world religion. The awareness, really, that my father used to say, watch how you spit into the wind. <laughs> and that always meant a lot to me, truly. You know, what you put out, you get back. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's no doubt about it. So the compassion is to do do unto others as you would like them to do for, unto you, but it even goes beyond that. It's, it's the awareness, really, that that um, I can make a difference mm -hmm. by how I react and how I respond to things in my life, just by my presence many times, not only by my my action. But that requires a putting on the mind of somebody else that, that rather than yourself. Mm -hmm. In the Christian tradition, it would be putting on the mind of Christ. In other traditions, it would be putting on the mind of the Buddha and so on. But the point is, actually, I have to change the, my, the cultural way in which it's been presented of how I'm supposed to be a success mm -hmm. and so on. That's a radical change. That's a transformation that requires more than your own effort. And that requires uh, your own effort but that added, uh, if you would, infusion of grace, of guidance from whatever uh, particular source that you were talking about through a contemplative attitude. Would that be a fair statement? It would be very much so, but you have to be faithful mm -hmm. to your, your practice and your intention. It's like a marriage, for mm -hmm. goodness sakes. You know, that you, you say, I take you for better, for worse, richer, or poor, sickness, and health, in this dimension, you're saying into eternity. So you know that better for worse, it's part of the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, sickness and health, it's part of the journey. You know, richer or poorer, it's part of the journey because none of those elements will ever make you happy. You know, if it's all uh, for better, you know, or for worse, if I'm always better, 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 or worse, 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 it's not gonna make you happy. Rich, 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 poor, 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 not going to make you happy, and uh, sickness or death, you know, not going to make you happy. And, and, and to be honest with you, one of the things the contemplative dimension does, it allows you to embrace one of the important things in your life. You're going to die. Mm -hmm. But you don't look upon that as something to be feared. And it has nothing to do with judgment. It's the re realization that if I can embrace the fact that I'm going to die, mm -hmm. I'm going to live on a much higher level because I'm not in fear of what's ending because today's day is precious in itself, you know? You counsel many people through your role as a priest right. uh, who are going through that process, dealing with other difficulties, but especially that process of approaching and accepting their death. What lessons have you seen that you think would be valuable for people that might change their attitude toward that? You start now. You start now. What, what would I want done if I became uh, 
had got cancer mm -hmm. before you get it what do I, how far do i want them to do my family to do and to sustain me and mm -hmm. so on you talk about it you talk about it now it's not a morbid thought i mean how much money is being made by financial advisors that come in and have you uh, prepare your your estate properly so that when you die it's distributed right mm -hmm. i mean everyone says that's a sensible thing to do well what's wrong with somebody coming in and saying what do you, how do you want to approach your death mm -hmm. uh, what what plans should we make and everything else i have a good priest friend of mine who is wonderful dealing with the de the dying uh, he is absolutely fantastic and he has a wonderful ability of being confrontational and it's so funny and but he tells two stories that uh, may i tell the two stories? please yeah yeah, yeah. Um, this mother and daughter calls him and he says, you know, uh, my husband's dying, you know, and um, uh, no, didn't say that. My husband is sick and would you go in and, 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 and help him because he wants to talk to a priest, you know. So Tommy goes in to talk to him. Now, he's sitting, uh, the man is sitting with his back to the window of the room. The door's closed, the parent, the husband. The, uh, the mother and daughter didn't come in, and, uh, and uh, he's there talking, so he could see the window, the man could not. He says to Father Tom, they won't let me die. They won't let me die. With that, there's a tap on the window, okay? And the daughter wrote out a sign, he doesn't know he's dying. He doesn't know he's dying. And this man is ready to go, mm -hmm. but he won't go because they won't let him go. Now, if there had been some discussion that it's fine for me to die, you know, I have a wonderful story with my dad. You know, when, when my dad was dying of cancer and um, uh, he was a sheet metal worker and, and asbestos had gotten into mm -hmm. his, his lung and stuff like that. And my mom, myself, and my brother and sister were there. And we had a little, little we, every once in a while, uh, like every half hour, we would pray special scriptures to him. And then we say to him, Dad, it's okay that you can go. Mm -hmm. you know, we'll take care of Mom. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You can go. You can go. So. They said these little prayers encouraged him to go and everything else. But my mother would never tell him to go. I said, Mom, why don't you tell him to go? He said, what, tell him to go? He hasn't listened to me ever. <laughs> why would he listen to me now? A minute and a half later, he died. Really? Really. He was looking for permission from her, who she loved dearly, and he, she over-exaggerated that mm -hmm. point, everything. She needed to hear it from a loved one. It's okay to go. Yeah. So to, to me, a contemplative opens you to the fact of the vastness of life rather than clinging, clinging to life. Of course, there's heartache and leaving loved ones and everything. But in a certain sense, we have to embrace that that's part of the reality of life. And like I said, we can spend a fortune with a financial advisor. Why don't we spend a little time talking about that end too mm -hmm. and make it easier that people understand it? That demands a very different 
shift in perspective. Oh, oh, big time. Big time shift in perspective. And it maybe broadens our sense that all of life, all of nature, our environment is God's art within us. Uh, what does that say in terms of when you look at a fairly manipulative uh, orientation toward our environment and toward other people who are all walking around, they're all dealing with these same issues, what does that say about uh, what attitude we need to change in terms of our orientation to each other and to the larger environment? Well, the big issue is mythical membership. You don't, in a certain sense, re, uh, uh, surrender the universality of, of our existence. Mm-hmm. Mythical membership demands that my group is right and your group is wrong. Okay, and 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 when you get into that stronger and stronger, and there's no voices really to to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. In, in the levels of consciousness. A mystical membership is my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next step is called mental egoic, which means, well, wait a second, maybe you have a point, you know, uh, that we could grow together and 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 uh, work on whatever this thing is going through. So um, it's hard. Because mythical membership gives you security. Mm-hmm. And when you begin to branch out of that, there's insecurity, but there's growth. Thank you so much for being a part of this program and sharing your thoughts and perspectives and wisdom with all of us. We appreciate your being out in this area. You've recently, well not recently, but you have a book if anybody's interested in more details on that. I wrote it 20 years ago. And still applies pretty well. Well, I I was reading it in a car, and I was surprised how good I sounded. (laughs) Taste of silence. And we'd also mention anybody interested in some of the larger issues of contemplative practice, contemplativeoutreach.org, which will be on the bottom of the screen that people can reference that. They can. Again, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us this weekend, and we hope you'll join us for the next edition of Challenge 2.0. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, please give us five stars and leave a review. If you can also tell one friend about the show, that would be great. You can find us on social media at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find out more and financially support the show at pathstounderstanding.org. The program is hosted by executive producer Jeff Renner. Produced by Tom Butterworth and John Sharifi. Cameras and audio by Rich McAdams, Tom Butterworth, and Dean Puccio. Ian Olson is the production assistant.